Barukatan Adonai Elohenu Menakaolam. Asher Kichanu Bimitwata Vetivanu La Asok Bedivre Torah. Ve Arevna Adonai Elohenu et Divre Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka Bet Israel. Venia Naknu Veza Etzeinu Veza Etzee Amka Bet Israel. Kulano Yodea Shemeka Velom de Torateka Lishma. Baruch Ata Adonai Hamlame Torah Leamo Yisrael. Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Like to welcome you to the final two parashot. It's the final countdown. Okay, anyway, get my drift. Okay, so Behar, which is on the mountain, Behukotai, which is in my commandments or in my engravings, to be more accurate. These are the final two Torah portions of Sefer. Leviticus, or shall we say Legiticus. So, double parsha this week. One of the main reasons that we do the parsha Bechukotai before Shavuot, Bechukotai is always before Shavuot, because it kind of reminds us of parsha Kitavo, where there's a whole thing about the blessings and the curses. Well, that kind of happens in uh, in Bekukotai. And so there's a lot that we need to make sure that we are aware of so that we don't get ourselves into much trouble. <clears throat> so just want to point that out that, um, you know, we kind of got a little matchup here with uh, Parsha Kitavo. And one of the coolest things is that in Parsha Behar, Literally in the first verse, my note that I made, it says, HaKadosh Baruch letting us know he is going to make good on his word. It's not a matter of if, and it's the same with this exile. Because we see the words, Ki Tavo. Okay, so if you, and uh, well, it's Ki Tavo'u. Like when you come in the land, not necessarily Kitavo, but it's Kitavo U, so you add a Vav. And the cool thing about that is Parsha Kitavo is about when we enter into the land. That's in Devarim, right? So the last part of Devarim, right as right as you're going into Parsha Netzavim and Vayelek and Hazinu and Vezohabaraka. And then you start over in Bereshit. Because guess what? You never ever finish studying the Torah. So therefore, if people say that the Torah is done away with, because that's what they say today, they are missing one of the essential, fundamental aspects of the Torah. Number one, that you never finish studying the Torah. Number two, you never finish reading the Torah. Number three, there's never a Shabbat where we celebrate finishing the Torah. You know, every every Shabbat has its particular Torah portion, right? Well, tell me why there's not a Shabbat for Torah portion of Zohar Barak. Just tell me. It's like, are we going to read this Torah portion? Or are we not? <clears throat> well, you have to celebrate the Jewish festivals, which are 
the biblical festivals, which are the Hebrew festivals, which are the Israelite festivals. And there's one called Shemini Atzeret slash Simchat Torah. And that's where we read Vezohar But you kind of miss it because we go right out of Vezohar right into the first chapter of Parashah Bereshit. And we finish with the with the verses of Bereshit that are exactly what we recite in the Kiddush on Friday nights during Arab Shabbat. So much so that we never finish the Torah that we don't even read just the first few words of the beginning of the Torah when we finish uh, Devarim. We literally go a chapter and a verse or two into Parashat Bereshit. So Vezoha Baraka is never a standalone, chazak, chazak, venitazek, none of that. We just read right over into the, it's like the Torah just doesn't end. Oh, wait. So if the Torah, <clears throat> and it is what I'm about to say, is a manifestation of Hashem, and the Torah never ends, then uh, where does this whole idea of the law is done away with come from? Because, I mean, if you read Paul's letters, then, uh, I mean, I get how you can read it improperly and come up with that. But reading it the right way, which is from a Jewish mindset, he no he never, ever says the law is done away with. Which is just kind of interesting. So either people are putting words into Paul's mouth or they're misunderstanding what Paul said or they're doing both. There's no other options because Paul never said anything. Peter never said anything. John never said anything. James show enough didn't say anything and neither did Yeshua. He had 40 days to say, all right, y'all, I've been crucified. The law's done away with go live how you want. <clears throat> that never happened. Why am I ranting on this? Because this is the meaning of on the mountain of my engravings, which is what happens when you put Behar, Behukotai together in a phrase. Because why? We have to understand that if we've called ourselves people who are saved, people who are born again, people who are in covenant with Hashem, children of the light, God's children, uh, newborn babes, you know, all that kind of stuff. You want to mention that, right? Well, you're on the mountain receiving the engraving of Hashem because remember, the loss was to be written on our heart, right? Did you know that the word hukat <clears throat> comes from the word for engrave? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little little drop here. I'm gonna look up hukat, right? So kuf or siga chet kuf tav, right? Hukat. So when I looked that up, right, it it translates as statute. Now, it comes from the word chok, which means prescribe or owe or owed. And then if you go down further, it says bound. 
You wonder why we're called living sacrifices? Well, it's because we're supposed to be bound up in the word of God. And we're supposed to do that willingly, by the way. Hashem is not going to enforce us to be bound. Abraham didn't force Yitzhak to be bound. It's important for us to know, because that's the prototype picture, if you will, for lack of a better term, of what we're supposed to understand. We're supposed to be like Yitzhak. And Hashem is like Abraham. <clears throat> so, if you look at this picture here, that the father is taking his son, and the son's like, you know what, father, bind me up so that I can be offered appropriately. Well, guess what? When you're in the statutes of Hashem, you're being like Yitzhak who said, father, bind me up so that I can be an appropriate offering for you. If we don't want to live as offerings to Hashem, then we negate the very reason for our existence. That's right, y'all. We're supposed to be living sacrifices. That's why Yeshua came. Yeshua came knowing he was going to be bound and offered up. <clears throat> so, if that's true for him, how we think we get out of it? Like, oh no, he did it, so we don't have to. You ever wonder why men rap to feeling? You ever wonder why women braid the holla? There's all this concept of binding up going on here. Yes. Uh, men are rapping to feeling while women are needing the holla. And I mean, so, you know, we're both doing like the same thing. One's edible. The other one's spiritually edible. Well, one one of them's physically and spiritually edible, and the other one's just spiritually edible. So, I mean, get you some of that, right? So the women get to say, Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has made me according to his will. That's what they get to say. So we just get to say, Thank God you didn't make me a woman. But, you know, that could be taken so many different ways. But let me just tell you how I feel about it. Not that you care, but just as I can share with you that I thank God that I'm not a woman because nobody would get hollow. The candles would be lit. The kiddish would be prepared. Salt would be on the table, but we would be hollowless. Because why? You don't teach a crackhead how to make his own crack. Because that's what it's like for me. If I knew how to make hollow, I'm just saying, it would be gone before Shabbat. I don't know how y'all ladies do that because self-control, don't eat the, the fresh smelling baked bread that's that you made. <clears throat> now, you may be thinking, oh, I'm so stressed. I hope it tastes good. I hope it's amazing. But I'm just saying, it's hollow. It's fresh out the oven. Okay, even if you went to the store and bought kosher certified challah, because that's the thing. You want to make sure your challah is kosher certified, because guess what? It doesn't count as challah if the dough hasn't been separated. The challah is actually that little portion that the women separate, and what we're actually eating is the loaf from the challah. The challah portion is what gets offered up. So we say we're eating challah, but it's only challah because that portion has already been taken out. But anyway, I can go on and on and on about challah because, because, you know, that's my halakha, you know, challah at me. Anyway, 
So it's not my Hanukkah, but I like to eat it. So I'm just saying it's, it's like my top three favorite foods. But most of you probably already know that. Anyway, just so everybody can be re- reminded, my favorite foods are challah, pancakes, and gummy bears. Anyway, so what? why am I mentioning this again? Because I'm just going on a rabbi trail. But anyway, um, did a podcast about rabbi trails, by the way. You should check it out if you can. Um, now, back to what I was getting with this word engraving. Because when we look at Behukotai, comes from the word hukat, comes from the word hook. Now, break down hook, and it goes down even further, because we talked about binding, right? Being bound, you know? He's like, oh, I can't believe you're weighed down by that law of God. Let me just tell you something about binding real quick. That whatever you're bound up with in Hashem, causes some kind of uh, scientific reaction of some sort. Quantum, chemistry, physics, whatever you want to think about. Because what happens when a man wraps the feeling, all the medical benefits that are applied there, all of the spiritual benefits apply to people who are observant of the Torah. That's something. And not to mention the physical benefits that come from being Torah observant, like, I don't know, peace and, um, I don't know, illumination insights make you want to throw things and, uh, you know, sanity and your thinking because the fact that you eat kosher food changes the way you think. If you don't believe that it's cause you haven't done it. So you should probably try to do that for a second. Give yourself six months. Strictly kosher diet. I'm telling you, separate meat and dairy, all that kind of stuff. Just do it. Watch what happens. Now, obviously, you're going to have to deal with people thinking you're weird because they're like, I'd rather you be gluten-free or non-GMO or organic than be kosher. It's like, so people can be on keto diets and all sorts of other diets but if they go on Hashem's diet, then it's like, no, nah, that ain't right. Just saying that's a little self-incriminating because if you're against Hashem, you might want to think about that for a second. Especially if you say you love Hashem, but yet you don't approve of his diet plan. I mean, that's got to be awkward. So, it is the word chachak is the root of hukat and behukotai, which means inscribe cut in, like to be pierced. Okay? Like the way you cut a covenant, like the engraving on a tablet. Okay, so first use of this word is, oh, come on, man. Bear sheep 4910. Are you serious? It's the translation for the word lawgiver. Listen to this. I'm going to put the word chachak in here where it goes. All right. You ready? So it says, The scepter will not depart from Yehuda, nor the 
chachak, from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, chachak was the word for ruler's staff. So, the rod of his might, right? The the engravings of the Torah is considered to be the staff of the king of Israel. The rod with which the king rules the world is the engravings on the Torah. Now, I just want to point out for a second that the staff of Hashem, because, you know, Hashem is the king of Israel, and he gives to his son, who's one with him, which is why Melech Yisrael, is, like king of Israel, is a euphemism for son of God. And son of God is a euphemism for king of Israel. So if you're calling somebody the son of God, like the son of God, not a son of God, not a child of God, but the son of God, Ben Ha Elohim, to get particular. Now we're talking the king who has a staff that is the engravings on the tablets. So, yes, by the word of God, he rules, right? So, let's see here. Can we do some revelations if this verse will come up? Hmm. Can we get a revelation verse? Let's see. I'm searching. Because, you know, when Mashiach, Baruch Hashem, yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Okay. So we're going to, okay, let me go back. I'm so excited right now because we're talking about the word of God being the rule point, right? So Mashiach has this staff, right? But it's, it's the words that's really the power of that staff because the words are what's engraved on the tablet. And so when we talk about being on the mountain, receiving the staff of the king, which is the engravings, which is the commandments, if you walk in my statutes, my decrees, my ordinances, those kinds of things, those all come from the mouth of Mashiach. And in Revelation one sixteen it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance now what do we learn about the double-edged sword that uh we can go to chapter 2 verse 12 these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword okay and one of the malachim is talking about that and Yeshayahu 49.2 says, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. 
He made me like a polished arrow. He hid me in his quiver. Hmm. So the other thing that goes with is the letter to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when we're talking engravings, that's really what we're we're looking at. We're looking at being cut up by a double-edged sword. Turned into a tablet, so to speak. Which, if you know, the tablets, by the way, were pierced. So that you could see through both sides. And no matter which way you flipped that tablet, it was in the shape of a cube, by the way. And you would always see a face. So the tablet was known as Faces. And the Torah is said to have many faces, which are the interpretations. So which is why Mashiach would say, what does the Torah say and how do you interpret it? It's like, which face are you looking at? There's 70 of them. Which way you want to do this? Isn't it interesting that there are 70 nations and all 70 nations have a facet of the Torah? All the nations are going to come into Torah. All the false religions that exist in the world are a part of the 70 nations. Because why? They have a piece of Torah. Which is why every religion that exists is based on Torah at some point. Now what they've done with the Torah is what's made it out to be the false religion. Because they've taken fundamentals or foundational things or essentials if you will. And they've just done whatever they wanted to with it. You know, so I'm not going to go into many, uh, too much uh, in-depth and expounding on that. But just know, I mean, you can really track, track it down yourself if you think about it. Ask a schmoodist or a, a sayoist or a, uh, a smizlam or exchanity or any of those. Just ask them. You know, some few things about their beliefs, their theologies, their origins, where they came from. And it's all going to point back to the Torah. Why? Because you can't get away from it. Creation was brought forth with the Torah. So, side note, the staff of the king is the engravings of the Torah, which is going to take us to Revelations 19.15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. With which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. These are all talking about King Mashiach. May Hakadosh Baruchu send him now. So that's the one we're talking about. And so just off of the top, getting into the word for Hukat, the root of the word for Behukotai, which is what we get on the mountain, is the point that I wanted to make there. Um, here's another drop about the being bound up. 
is that in Yehezekiel, my favorite prophet, in chapter 36, this happens uh, three times in this in his uh, prophecies, by the way, but we're just going to go here. 36 started 16, because you ever heard about having a new heart and then having that heart be a heart of flesh and then, you know, thinking about Hashem is going to write the law in our heart. He's going to write the law in our heart of flesh, which means it's going to be a heart that's pierced. So that's why Mashiach was flesh that was pierced. He is the new heart, by the way, which is the sapphire tablets restored unto us is Mashiach. Which is why when we follow him, we get all this ridiculous illumination. Because that's what the sapphire tablets were going to be. Ridiculous illumination that we would have never, ever forgot. And I don't know about you, but it's really hard to forget Mashiach Yeshua's words. So, may not know exactly where that verse is, but I remember him saying, you know, da-da-da-da-da. It's like, well, that's because when you learn from the sapphire tablets, you don't forget. So think about that for a second. Selah. But you have to have put Mashiach in you. Hashem says, I'm put a new heart in you. And it all leads us back to the Hukat. It all leads us back to the statutes, the decrees, the ordinances, the engravings, the tablets, the Torah, the law, the mitzvot, fearing Hashem, loving Hashem, being Jewish, conversion, all that kind of stuff. That's what that all means. So check this out. Yehezekiel 36, starting in 16, straight through. Again, the word of God came to me saying, Son of man, when the people of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. They defiled it by their own ways and deeds. Their own ways and deeds. Their behavior before me was like the uncleanness of a woman's impurity. Hence why in exile, we're considered to be in Nida, the bride of Hashem currently in Nida. That's why we're in exile. That's why we don't get to be unified echad with Hashem. Going on to say, so I poured out my wrath upon them because the blood they shed on the land. And because they defiled it with their idols. So Nida, idolatry, murder. I mean, that's what we're talking about. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered throughout the lands. I judged them according to their ways and deeds. Wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them. These are the people of the Lord. Yet they had to leave his land. The fact that we're in exile, we're profaning the name of Hashem because we're saying we're people of Hashem and we don't live in Israel because we kicked ourselves out. We destroyed our temple. How could you do that? Well, I was acting like a woman in Nida because I did idolatry. I murdered and I did my own thing and I didn't do Hashem's thing. I'm just saying. What woman willingly puts herself into a state of Nida? Now, in and of itself, Nida is a, is a stage that women go through. And, you know, it's a part of, you know, the fall and the curse of mankind. So literally 
the fact that we even have Nida is proof that we put it on ourselves. Because the only reason women have to go through Nida today is because we, as mankind, decided to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. No woman probably likes Nida, which, you know, don't really know how to uh, get with all that and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, may Hashem bless y'all as y'all do that mitzvah. I mean, Brugashem. But listen, while we're in exile, we're considered like a woman in Nida. But the difference is that it's not because of the fall of mankind. It's because we willingly made ourselves fall. So therefore, when we really talk about you know, well, the woman's impure when she's in Nida. Oh, my gosh, don't touch her. Get out of here. Da, 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 da. My righteousness is like like Nida stuff, you know. And it's like, okay, so that's a that's an example to let us know that we can't get all big and mighty on ourselves and think, man, you know, we may not live in Israel. We may not have a temple, but, oh, we're killing it and observance, you know, like I got all my ducks in a row. I got all my mitzvot. I got all my halakha. I'm so stringent. I got all the right clothes to wear and all this kind of stuff. And I dive in three times a day. All that. Well, guess what? You're still considered like Anita. Why? Because idolatry, murder, bloodshed. The only way there was bloodshed is because you hated your brother. It's hard to kill people you don't hate. Especially when they're your brother. So therefore, all this other stuff kind of falls by the wayside because, again, the whole thing, your righteousness is filthy rags. That's related to the concept of the Nida, the the things that go along with that, those details. OK, our righteousness becomes that. So that's something that we need to I know it's gross. But we got to really grapple with that and understand we are not all that in the kosher bag of chips that we think we could be. We think that we will be and we think that we are now. We are not all that. And that that hurts. Because if we really were all that, we would have a temple right now. It's really hard to stay in exile if you live like the redemption, if you live yearning for Mashiach and making every ounce of your being ooze, Hakadosh Baruch Hu send Mashiach now, it's really hard to be in an exile mentality like that. It's really hard to look down on other people when you have that mentality. It's really hard to be arrogant when you have that mentality. It's really hard to be selfish when you have that mentality. Not wanting anybody to convert. Not wanting anybody to come to your shul because they drive cars. Not wanting anybody to join your congregation because they can't move to the Arab. Not wanting to convert anybody because you don't think they're good enough. This is why we're in exile. So, not really trying to um, make super clarity on the whole woman in need, I think, but we just need to know 
that that's a picture of us as a whole, as the the, the family of believers, that uh, as we're in exile, we're considered to be in a state of nida, and uh, therefore, anything that we think that we can be all zealous and excited and over the top about, we just need to calm down <laughs> and bring it back to normal. Okay. Bring it back to sanity. Bring it back to humility. Bring it back to don't get crazy because I'm just saying we all are in need of. So, and again, we're profaning the name of Hashem because we're scattered throughout the four corners of the world due to the sins that we committed and due to the sins that we currently commit. Because why? Verse 20 in Ezekiel 36, And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my name because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord. Yet they had to leave his land. Remember, as we were going into the land in the wilderness, Hashem said, be careful not to do what the nations of Canaan, the nations that are around you are doing, because the land will spew you out. And yes, I know Revelation seemed like such a new thing, but it's not, which is kind of funny because you would think with Revelation, there'd be something new because Revelation, you know, being to reveal stuff that's hidden. But it's just kind of ironic. And I am irony, man. So I love that. But anyway, the whole thing about rather you be hot or cold and spew out and all that kind of stuff, that that's Torah. That's the land of Israel. The land of Israel is like, if you're not doing Torah, I'm spewing you out. And where are the pri where's the primary majority of Jews today that are like truly getting them some? Like getting observant, getting converted, getting down into fear and love and Hashem, working on their midot, you know, the real deal stuff, not the showy, you know, we're not bragging about Arabs, we're not bragging about, you know, peyote, we're not bragging about all this other stuff that you can do with your uh, customs and mean hogs and tradition and all that kind of stuff. We're not bragging about any of that. We're not bragging about the fact that we know Hebrew. But what we are bragging about is that Hashem has opened our eyes to allow us to make Teshuvah and we're doing it with everything that we got. So therefore, the boasting and the bragging is actually about the work that Hashem is doing in us and not so much the work that we're doing. Because again, if we bragged about our work, this is going to be gross, but I got to say it because this is the real deal. And I got to give you that real like we're going fishing. So if we gonna brag about our works, it's this it would be like a woman going into the bathroom and bringing her menstrual garments out and saying, "Look at this. Aren't I so awesome?" I had to do it. I had to be graphic like that because if people don't realize that actual reality I don't know what, what else you could say. Like, that's just kind of like, here was the line I met, and you went right over it. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, because people do that, like, I don't know, every day. 
You ever heard about people being persecuted for doing commandments? And the people who are persecuting people for doing commandments think that they're doing a better job at the commandments? Do you know that exists in the world right now? Everybody's bragging about their menstrual rags. It's just like, ugh. Gross. I don't even know. I, man, why do we got to talk about this? But we got to. It's Behar Bekukotai. This is the, the final countdown of Vaikra. And Lagba Omer is coming up this week. You know, um, we're getting really close to Shavuot. And, I mean, we're in the week of humility for the Omer count, for crying out loud. So, I mean, if we can't be humble now, Hashem help us. Gosh, man. Woo. Anyway, nobody gets to brag. If you brag, it's a rag. Don't do it. It's gross. Can we talk about something else? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked. But just know, if someone comes at you sideways, which means that they get an attitude, that they, they come at you arrogantly, they come at you very self-conceited, and they tell you you're doing a horrible job, you're not a real Jew, just say, you ever seen the the menstrual rag of a woman in Nida? That's what you are right now. Let's not do that. I mean, obviously, that would not be a good thing to say to people. But just, I mean, even if you don't say that to them, because, I mean, that's just kind of like going from zero to 1100. And they would not be expecting that. That's like when a person comes at you and be like, oh, you believe in Yeshua? And like, yeah, the Mashiach ben Yosef who dies for the sins of Israel because he made that agreement with the Shem before the foundations of the earth because the Shem said, I destroyed the temples. So therefore, are you willing to go through the same suffering I'm going through? And Mashiach's like, I'm not better than you. So, you know, uh, yes, because the servant is not greater than his master. So, uh, yeah, Pasikta Rabati type stuff. Messiah text, you know, you ever read that book? You would shut somebody down if you <laughs> said that to them. They're like, Cause, yeah, Yeshua's Mashiach ben Yosef. And we're waiting on him to return to Mashiach ben David. And Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef are actually one and the same. Because the two Mashiachs are like inseparable friends. Kol Hator, you ever read that? Anyway. And Mashiach ben Yosef, he comes back to reestablish the throne of David. More Kol Hator. And what did Mashiach do? He came back to reestablish it. But it's not set yet. Which is why we keep saying, establish the throne of David speedily in our days. Mashiach laid the groundwork for that. So, there you go. Now, I mean, anyway, so back to my point that, uh, you know, people are going to come at you sideways. Just let them know that even if they think they're better than you, they're still in need of. And even worse, they're the garments that should be in a trash can, which again is another humbling fact because each of us, we should be in a trash can covered up from the light of day. But yet Hashem's like, you know what? Bring your filth to me and I'll clean it up. I will untie the bundled sins. I will release the captive. I will save by the power and the might of my right hand. If that don't humble us, I don't know what does. But I'm just saying, people need to quit doing sideways stuff and straighten up. Myself included. Okay.
So, verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations which to which they had gone. Therefore, tell the house of Israel. Who? The Jews. Tell the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites. Nobody else, by the way. He's he's so just know Hashem is talking to Jews. Nobody else. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's he talking to? Okay. People who keep the Shabbat, people who are converted, you know, people of covenant, people with the law written on their heart. You know, just a few things. He's saying that. He says, it is not for your sake that I will act. So, do Jews work for their salvation? No. They don't, they're not even able to spell salvation if it wasn't for Hashem. We can't boast or brag about being saved. We can't boast or brag about being born again. Because why? Hashem said it's not for your sake. It's not because you initiated this. O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which by the way is the Torah. So for freedom, Mashiach set us free. The Torah is the name of Hashem. Okay, just know that, believe that, trust that. You probably don't believe me. So let me let me pull up Shavile Pincus real quick. Shavile Pincus bringing down the introduction to the Ramban on the Torah. Here's what it says. Actually, I got to go over here and do it. All right. Ramban in his introduction to the Torah says, we have yet another mystic tradition that the entire Torah is comprised of the names of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, And that the letters of those words separate themselves into God's names. When divided in a different manner, imagine, for example, the first Pasuk of the Torah, which is Bereshit were rearranged in different words such as uh, well if you copy and paste Hebrew it doesn't come out right let's go over here hang on one second I'm backing all the way up Just got a little technology, don't you? All right. Where are we at here? First Pasuk Bear Sheet. Ramban. Introduction. Here it is. Brukashem. Okay. So Berosh. Yit bara Elohim. So, wow. Berosh, so with the head, Yit bara created Elohim. So, wow. So in the beginning, 
Hashem created, like Elohim created. Berosh Yitbara shall create, did create, you know, so Hashem created at the at the head or in the beginning. Those are a few ways to really look at that phrase. It doesn't say that the head created Elohim, which would be a rendering if you tried to read it like that. That would actually not be right because the grammatical way to structure Hebrew, you don't put the subject at the beginning. You put the action at the beginning. So just know that. So the action is always before the subject. This is why it says, Vaidaber Adonai. So not the thing, Hashem, but it literally is saying Hashem spoke. So over here, it's like, so with the head, Hashem created, if you want to look at something like that. So it says, in similar fashion, this principle applies to the entire Torah with the exception of the combinations and gematrias of the holy names. So there's that. And it was Zohar Kiddushin 316 that said that the Torah is one whole name, one whole divine name of Hashem. So anyway, just want to point that out uh, here when Hashem is talking about for his name. He, uh, he's acting for the sake of his holy name. Then he says, which you profaned among the nations to which you went. So profaning the name of Hashem was profaning the Torah. Think about that for a second. Like, Twisting the Torah, not doing the Torah, being overly stringent and saying that's Torah. Those are all profaning the name of Hashem. Judaism, by the way, is all about moderation. This is why the Nazarite vow was not really a thing that was encouraged. And literally, you brought a sin offering at the end of your Nazarite vow. And you would think... I just did something so holy. And it's like, yeah, you sinned. Bring a sin offering. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a whole lot more to that. But just know, it's not about being like super over the top, like cape on, you know, uh, we're going to do this all or nothing. Judaism is about moderation, okay? Like, don't get overly indulgent in everything and don't, uh, give up things that you're allowed to take pleasure in. Which, by the way, one of the, the Midrash sources brings down that one of the things you're going to be questioned about at the judgment is why you didn't partake of pleasures that were permissible to you. So if you're always turning down stuff that you're actually supposed to like take joy in, you know, whatever that is for you, you know, you're going to be questioned about it. Why'd you, why'd you pass this up? And that's kind of convicting because you're just like, well, I didn't want to get too crazy with it. It's like, well, if you're taking everything in moderation, that's why Shaul said that to the Corinthians, you know, and it's just like, wow. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's all Jewish stuff. So back to the point that the name of Hashem is proclaimed a, a month 
profaned among the nations because of improper handle or improper use of Torah, which is the divine name of Hashem. Or divine names of Hashem. So either way you slice it, I mean, it's it's not looking good. And so this is why being observant is so important. Growing in your faith is so important because you're bringing sanctification to Hashem's name. But just know the only reason that we're allowed to do that and we're able to do that is because Hashem has initiated that. He's acted. So therefore, we're just, we're the result of his action. All the, the mitzvah keeping that we get to do is the result of Hashem acting. So, we had to answer the call, but Hashem was the one who initiated the call. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am Hashem, declares Adonai, when I show my holiness in you. Listen, he says, my holiness in you. Why? Because Bechukotai in the engravings were the engravings on our heart. They're inside of us. Okay. And he says, when I show my holiness in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations. Oh, this sounds like Pesach. Gather you out of all the countries and I will bring you back to your land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. This sounds like the four salvations, the four cups that we drink at Pesach. I'll take you, I'll bring you, I'll make you mine and I'll be your God. Remember those, the four salvations. So Hashem is doing something basically like that right here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So first of all, understand you have a new heart. With the spirit, the the heart of flesh and the spirit are intricately connected. So if you have one or the other, that's not good. You got to have both. The new heart of flesh and the spirit. And here's what it says. When it talks about the new spirit, it literally calls it a Ruach Hadash, a renewed spirit i.e. the spirit that Hashem is putting in us is the one that we never received in the first place because we rejected it. Remember that one time he tried to give us sapphire tablets and we were like, nah, we'll take golden calf. We'll take the heart of stone, Hashem. You can keep your stone. Which just makes you think about the sapphire tablets. If that was supposed to be the original new heart, new spirit, but it's stone, but yet it became flesh, and it's like, okay, so the stone to the flesh kind of thing, you really kind of start to think about this because Mashiach Yeshua is the foundation stone and he became flesh. So there's something about the stone of Hashem that is intricately intertwined with flesh. But yet there's an earthly stone that is the opposite of flesh and that actually is the rebellion. 
which rebellion is all directly related to earthliness because people who don't want to do Torah, they're so bound up with the earth that you can't tell them apart from the earth almost. You know, oh, I can't give up that food. It tastes too good. What am I going to do now when I want to go out to eat or hang out with my friends? It's like if going out to eat is the only way you can hang out with your friends, you might need new friends. You know, and it's just kind of interesting. So anyway, it says, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Oh, snap. There's the word huki or hukai. Behukai. Sounds really close to behukotai. So, if you come back to our double parsha this week, you have to first get to the mountain. So, when you get to the mountain, you learn about how you got to the mountain. First of all, Hashem brought you. Hashem saved you. You responded to the salvation Hashem gave, right? We did, all of us. Bezrat Hashem. So, Parsha Behar, we got redemption stuff, sabbaticals, and all that kind of stuff. You know, Shemitahs, and resting, and all that kind of stuff. Freeing from labor, and like, I mean, you name it. We're getting into Parsha Mispatim, and all sorts of civil stuff. And only after that, now we can focus on the engravings. Focus on the tablets. Focus on the law. Focus on the halakot. Focus on the customs. And this is where I wrote that it's important to understand uh, the Agarit to Rome, chapter 3. And where did I put that? There it is. Brukasham. So, Behar, redemption and salvation. Behukotai, mitzvot, obedience. This is the hashtag regenerated life. As we see, Agarit Rome, chapter 3, verses 30 and 31. So, Romans, 30, or Romans 3, 30 through 31 says, Since God is one, Echad, he will set right the circumcised by faith. And the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faithfulness? May it never be. Notice how he says, may it never be that we nullify the law. Shaul, Paul said this. Faith does not nullify the Torah. Come on, man. Now we got to go to Galatians again. Okay, let's go back to Galatia. I believe it's chapter 4. And verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Yitzhak, are children of the promise. But just as at that time, the one born according to the flesh persecuted the one according born according to the ruach so it is now let's go back a little bit because he did a beautiful drop about the promise does not negate anything 
Yeah, your children of the promise. Drive out the slave woman. According to the promise, let's see here. Let's do some research. There we go. It's chapter three. All right, Rukashem. If you belong to Mashiach, the Torah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, so just because we're children of the promise, think about Yitzhak, right? So he, we're children of the promise. So if you look at the concept, did Yitzhak or did he not bind himself up in Torah? Because we just read it. Galatians 4, and we also read in Galatians 3, that we're, we're children of the promise, which is Yitzhak. And Yitzhak was born before the revealing of the Torah in the wilderness on Mount Sinai, but yet he knew it, he studied it, because Abraham knew it and studied it and handed it down to his family. Hashem says, I choose Abraham because he commands his children after them, after him to follow my commandments, my statutes, my ordinances, my Torahs, all that. And Yitzhak, there's a testimony that he did the same thing. He followed all of Hashem's uh, laws and rules and statutes and all that. So if Yitzhak was born according to the promise, born of the spirit, new heart, new spirit, all that, he followed Torah. Why do we not follow Torah when we're going through the same process, being born of the Spirit, born according to the promise, and all that kind of stuff? So anyway, just to point that out, that Galatians does talk about that. So anyway, the, uh, the reason Hashem puts His Spirit in us is so that we can get to the mountain and get the Torah and go out into the world and make disciples of the Torah. True followers of Mashiach. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to bring up is that in Parsha uh, Nitzavim in chapter 30 of Devarim, we got a couple of verses here that I think are really, really cool because we talked about being in exile and being, you know, in a state of impurity and all of that. Well, the cool thing about this is you look at this verse and starting one through, let's see here, one through five. When all these things befall you, the blessing and the curse that I've set before you, and you take them to heart 
amidst the various nations which Hashem your God has banished you? Mm. Straight drop kicked us like get out. <laughs> it says, and you return to the Lord. Veshabat ad Adonai. And you Shabbat unto Hashem. The word Ad is also the word Aid, which is witness, which is like the first or the, the last letter of Shema and the last letter of forever. Hear the Lord your God. The Lord our God is one. Baruch Shem Le'olam Ba'ed. Blessed be the name of your glorious kingdom forever and to all eternity. So there's a large Ayin and a large Dalit. And that makes the word for witness. And that's all connected to the, to the Shema. So in Devarim 30, verse 2, the very first three words, you have Shabbat, Ayin Dalit, Adonai. The Ayin Dalit always teaches us about the Shema. When you reverse Ayin Dalit, it's the word Da, which means knowledge, which is the root of Da'at, which is the Torah, which is known as the sun in Kabbalah, by the way. Because you have Chokmah, which is the father, that's wisdom. Bina, which is the mother. That's understanding and da'at, which is the sun, which is knowledge. So now you have a Shabbat, which if you rearrange Shabbat, spell it backwards. And, oh, well, don't spell it backwards. Take the Tav and put it from the end and put it at the front. You get the word Tashuv, which means Teshuvah, repentance. So repenting with the Shema to Hashem. So Shabbating and the witness of Hashem's name. Okay? All of that. That's your returning to Hashem. And it says, You and your children heed His command with all your heart and with all your soul. That's the second paragraph of the Shema. It says, Just as when I, in, just as I enjoin you upon, just as I enjoin upon you this day. It's a daily thing. Notice it says this day, not back then or, well, I'll stop doing this sometime in the future. It literally says today. Then it goes on to say, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, take you back in love. He will bring you together again from all the nations where Hashem, your God, has scattered you. Even if your outcasts are at the ends of the world from there, Adonai, your God, will gather you. From there, he will fetch you. And Hashem, your God, will bring you to the land that your forefathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your forefathers. So Hashem is saying, I'm going to act for the sake of my name because it's being profaned among the nations because you are all scattered throughout the nations. You're like a woman in Nida and you have all this idolatry. You have all this bloodshed, all this stuff. So therefore, I'm going to act. And when you see all of this stuff here, the commentary that Rashi goes into, he says... This is to express the idea that when he will bring back the captivity. But it says this is the idea or this idea ought to have been ought to have written. Rabbis learn from this that if one can say so of God, his presence dwells with Israel in the misery of their exile. 
so that they are redeemed, i.e. when he speaks of their being redeemed, he makes scripture right, redemption of himself. The other thing that we have to understand is as we're praying for for redemption, we're literally praying that Hashem be redeemed. We're praying that Hashem's shaking and be redeemed, that Mashiach be redeemed, that the Torah be redeemed, like the image of Hashem upon the earth needs to be redeemed. So just know that. The same thing happened in Egypt. It was really the crying out of the Shekinah that Hashem heard for redeeming us from Egypt. So scripture speaks of redemption of Hashem. It says, i.e., he makes it state that he will be redeemed, that he will return with them. Megillah 29a. Furthermore, the following may be that the day of the gathering of the exiles. So in explaining the strange and important and is attended with such difficulty that it is though he, God himself, must actually seize hold of every individual's hands, dragging him from his place so that God himself returns with the exile. And, or as it is stated, Yeshiyahu twenty seven twelve, and you shall be scattered, or and you shall be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. We find, however, the same expression applies, or the same expression in connection with the gathering of the exiles of Israel. We find, bah. So we find the same expression in connection with the gathering of the exiles. And I shall bring back the exiles. So, when Hashem is saying he's going to gather us in, he's saying I'm going to gather myself in. So that's Rashi on that. G. Shekel on Bekukotai brings down. Uh, G. Shekel, Shlita, says, And now, Though Israel are in exile, the Holy One, blessed be he, is with them and does not leave them. When Israel are released from exile, God will return with them, as it is written, Adonai, your God, will return your captivity. Divine 30, verse 3. Indeed, Adonai, your God, will himself return. And then I just wanted to note, this is why Shaul could faithfully declare in Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel will be saved. Because remember, Israel is called the Son of God, and the Son of God is one with the Father. Israel, Hashem, and the Torah are Echad. How we feel about the Torah is how we feel about Shem is how we... Uh, how we feel about Hashem is how we feel about the Torah, how we feel about Israel, and vice versa, and so on and so forth. So in that verse in Kitavo is 26.1, where it says, Vehaya Kitavo. And Hiskuni brings down, it will be when you come to the land, seeing that Moshe told the people in Devarim 25.19, the commandment to wipe out Amalek, would apply only after Hashem had given the people rest from their enemies. 
he has to tell them here that what follows applies as soon as they enter the land or as soon as they enter and make their homes in the Holy Land. Some notable commandments that become due as soon as they reap the harvest in the land are the bringing of the temple or the bringing to the temple of the first ripened fruits for the first seven species for which the land is famous, tithing the grain, harvest forgiving the Levites their share, inscribing the text of the Torah on the stones of the Jordan River, building the altar as well or as well as reciting the blessings and curses detailed in chapter 27, 12 through 26. Again, that's Hiskuni. And then going on from here, we have some, some breakdowns, but I want to get to this point. Um, from Rabbi uh, GQ, which is Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum Shlita. Redemption is through the 50th gate, which is Bina. And it says, Yet even the most degraded foes go free in the Jubilee year, in which the blast of the Sinai trumpet of freedom on the day of at one day of atonement, signifies that all debts have been paid through the redemptive power of Bina, which is the 50th gate. And the reason I bring that up is because we know that redemption is sure. Hashem is like, listen, when you get into the land, you're going to do this. When you get into the land, da-da-da-da-da. And when I bring you, da-da-da-da-da. So we need to know Hashem is going to redeem everything. But in the meantime, what are we called to do? We need to make teshuva. We need to Shabbat and the witness of the name of Hashem. And so may we continue to do so. And uh, a lot more to talk about. But we'll break this out in some few more segments. But Baruch Hashem for Hashem. Being so merciful and gracious to us. And acting for the sake of his name. May we do the same. Act for the sake of his name. And may he bring us out of our impurities. And may we see Mashiach soon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Please send Mashiach. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabet okeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.